There should be a government man regulated letter that is like if you want to hit on one of your employees, you know, and then just like just like it's like a form. Welcome to Humus Agenda Podcast. My name's Kenny. I'm Sherry. I'm Will. I'm Selena. And today we are going to do a little debrief from our last meeting on a gender-based violence in London. So we had Dr. Annalise Trudell, and she came in from ANOVA, which is the uh, new conglomeration of the Sexual Assault Centre of London and the Women's Community House. So we're going to be talking about violence against women. We want to give a bit of a disclaimer before we start. So this podcast contains discussions around sexual assault and violence. If you or anyone you know is experiencing violence or harassment at the hands of someone else, please seek help. There are a number of resources for you to reach out to. You could call the Assaulted Women's Hotline at 1-866-863-051. If you are an Aboriginal Aboriginal woman, you can contact Talk for Healing at 1-855-554-HEAL, H-E-A-L. And if you're in London, Ontario, call ANOVA um, at... 519-642-3003. 519-642-3003. So which, what should we talk about? We should, we, should we do a summary of, of the discussion? I think basically, um, it's actually the second time I've seen um, Dr. Trudell's, Dr. Annalise Trudell speak. When I saw her speak initially, she did a really great um, like discussion on consent. But this one focused more just kind of what is gender-based violence, what are all the different forms that it can take, um, and how there's many forms that are other than just rape. I think people kind of just assume rape. There's a lot of other kind of um, actions and behaviors and interactions between people which can make someone, um, you know, feel like they're forced into a situation that they're uncomfortable with and um, things that are sometimes violent. And kind of, I think she kind of also just went through kind of the frequency of this, um, who is most at risk of this. So obviously um, women are more at risk of this than men are, but that doesn't mean that this doesn't also happen to men. And then another thing she talked about was kind of how it works in the court systems and how most cases go unreported or unfounded um, and very few go through a trial. And also this idea of maybe it should be um, a civil matter, gender-based violence, so that this could be kind of civilly mandated, you know, discussed. So it's kind of like, because it is a little bit of a he said, she said, situation a lot of times because you know you don't have that hard evidence of uh, look there's a car accident kind of thing and just the going through the criminal court system is very difficult for victims um, and often very like re-traumatizing and then she did also kind of talk about um, this worry of people like of women lying about it and how like very rare that is in in comparison to how many women actually experience gender-based violence or sexual assault or sexual harassment and just kind of the supports and how we can maybe address this and how it is also an issue that needs to be talked with men and women Um, and it's kind of how do we view different relationships how do we view like a healthy consensual relationship and how do we kind of foster that in younger people and children when we like teach them about like I think you know um, Sherry's thing about talking about like sex ed and how that plays like a really important role in this Mm -hmm. kind of discussion 
Um, that was a really big longhouse rant. I think it was a great topic to have because at our winter solstice, we have previously donated to Inova, and this year we donated as well. Um, we actually got the total of our donation in, so Hala donated $200, and our members donated um, 160 extra. So we, in total, donated $360 to the Inova shelter plus a bunch of items. I think that's going to go a long way. I think that's great. We're really proud of all of our members for doing that. I'm really happy about how that went down. I think it was a great uh, lecture to have right before the holidays. And it's still definitely still a big issue. I mean, one of the uh, topics during the talk was around how the shelters are always filled up. There's never any room and it's a first come first serve, but you know, it's difficult to find room for people trying to find shelter. Um, One thing that stuck out for me that you mentioned, which I didn't know, um, was this idea of dependence. So if a woman has um, experienced like violence or domestic abuse or anything, and she goes into the shelter with her dependents or her children, even if they are adult children, she can bring them along even if they are male, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting because I just kind of assumed, you know, Sorry, you're a man who's over 18, you're not allowed into this facility, but if you are the dependent of a woman, that woman's able to bring her family in with her. Um, I think it's really important because it might keep women from going to the shelter if they are not allowed to bring their children who might be over 18. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you want to get them out of that situation as well. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, so how can we best teach the younger generation about healthy relationships and consent? How can our schools improve this education in their sex ed programs? Um, There has been an increase in reporting and uh, reporting of sexual assaults on school grounds, uh, largely at non-post-secondary institutions with younger students rather than a university or college Mm. age after the Me Too movement. So I found that uh, I found that stat on Stats Canada, which I found really interesting. Do you think that's just because, like, high, like so you're saying high schools, it's more common than in universities and colleges? Is that what it's saying by that? It's saying that post-secondary institutions. There was a 5% increase of reports at non-post-secondary institutions Oh, okay. since what, the Me Too movement. So what constitutes that? A non-post-secondary? Yeah. So, like, high schools. Okay, so it is high school. Yeah. I wonder if there, though, is just because of the structure of it, whereas I feel like in university and college, it's like, who do I tell? Mm-hmm. You know, and also what is the ramification of that? Whereas in high school, it's like guys in my class, like this is a problem, I can't focus or whatever else. Whereas I feel like in university and college, it's so big and large. Mm-hmm. And you probably, I mean, you have a closer relationship to your teacher, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, in high school versus in the professor here, right? Yeah. But the increase has happened since the Me Too movement. So mm-hmm. it's not just in general there's yeah. 5% more. It's that there's been an in- increase in the younger students. So younger people, I think, are starting to recognize sexual violence yeah. since the Me Too movement. I think it's brought yeah, that, that attention. That hasn't been as effective at changing the minds or actions of those older than that. These Maybe they're set in, the, in their old ways. Is that kind of... Or, the, or they don't have the supports to actually reach out to report that. Or the, it's they are reporting it, but actually being able to like figure out Right? Like, you don't really have, you're not going to get a university professor, and there's not like a system yeah. for the, managing that. The stakes that. are higher when you get older, right? So, uh, let's say it was violence at work. I mean, now you're, 
you might feel like your career is on the line and or could potentially be threatened mm-hmm. um, versus elementary or high school kids. I yeah. think it's more about the setup of it. I think there's just like university and colleges, you're just kind of like floating through. There's just not that contact point, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there could have been a lot of changes. Like the change could be that teachers are more aware. The change could be that students are In more high aware. Schools, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I think I, I would probably agree with that. That there are more supports because the, of the awareness. Definitely, there could be a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering. So we were kind of using a few terms interchangeably. What are we specifically meaning when we talk about like gender-based violence yeah. rather than like sexual harassment? Mm-hmm. Great question. Sexual sexual harassment is that not a more frequent occurrence? So if you're being harassed, it happens on a multiple time basis, whereas assault is more like is assault sexual or, sorry, violence or sexual violence includes sexual harassment. Uh, so this is when someone uses words or actions of a sexual nature that make the other person feel intimidated, humiliated, or uncomfortable. It can include sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape, incest, uh, all of those things. It also includes sexual harassment, stalking, indecent exposure, degrading sexual imagery, voyeurism, cyber harassment, uh, sex trafficking, and sex exploitation. Okay. I think I remember her saying that, like, so gender-based violence is more of like an overarching term. That covers all of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's just kind of this general thing of, like, an action which makes a person feel vulnerable and victimized. Was there any discussion of the of the inclusion of the term violence in there? Because I'm sure it, it covers a lot of things that wouldn't traditionally be considered to be violent acts. There, there was. I'm not able to remember right now, but there was a discussion of why. I think she does go, like, in her lecture, did explain why she used the term violence. Do you remember what that, what that reasoning was? Because I know that's, that's been a point of contention, um, you know, in public discourse in, in some circles is the, the use of the term violence to describe nonviolent acts. And I feel like the justification has typically been that the emotional pain suffered by the victims of of uh, sexual violence um, is of a similar nature and severity, well maybe not similar nature, but of a similar severity to the pains caused through um, physical violence. And in some cases it's actually, it's even more significant and yet people don't react to emotional pains of the victims the same way they would if they had been violently offended so i think it's more like like a a public awareness thing of uh, it's intended to legitimize the uh the suffering of these individuals who are suffering you know maybe non-violent um you you know emotional transgressions Um, so she describes sexual violence as any form of sexualized behavior without consent and so that somehow becomes an umbrella term because it could be something like a comment yeah. or like a stalking or a touch um, and doesn't necessarily mean... Um, violence. Yeah. In like the traditional physi- sense. Yeah, not like physical violence in traditional sense. One example she even gave was outing someone um, about their like sexual orientation is something that you have done without consent of the person. Yeah, I, do, do you think it's... Uh, I mean, I, I didn't actually listen to the lecture, but do you think it's accurate to to say that the, the, in, the choice to include the term violence 
to encompass these offenses is is to make the public perceive those offenses more accurately and not be as dismissive of them because nobody really dismisses actual violence mm -hmm. right if you're the victim of actual like like physical violence um, nobody is going to dismiss that right where there's there's a culture of dismissal uh, surrounding you know uh, the victims who come out about uh, some emotional transgressions I, I think that's probably pretty accurate um, and I think it's really like especially kind of like focusing on this idea of consent and how mm. it really depends on what a person is comfortable with um, and so that will differ from each person to person so certain actions you know might be okay you know like I may interact with you in certain ways or you know like I may interact with Sherry in certain ways and that might be acceptable with another person it's not and it's that consent piece so it's less about what is the actual action and what is how is that perceived and was that like was there permission granted or was that kind of forced upon someone I think it's this idea of it being forced upon someone that makes it violence. Yeah. And probably especially if it's repeated without consent. Yeah, so, even right. more so. Because, I mean, I don't want to say that you can like, justify it, but like, I feel like sometimes you know, things happen where you, know, you make a comment about a friend or you make a joke yeah. and it upsets them. And I would like to think as soon as you realize, you're like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to comment on your funny-looking ears. Yeah. But if I do it again... What's wrong with my ears? I know. I know you just pointed at <laughs> Kenny. I, know, I was like looking, I was like, eh, just take a random facial feature. Poor Kenny. <laughs> but, you know, obviously, nothing's wrong with the ears. But if I did it the first time, you might be like, yo, so, you know, that wasn't cool. Or I might kind of see cues of like, oh, he didn't actually react that well to that. Mm -hmm. Clearly, that's not the cool thing to do. And if I did it a second time, I think I would agree that in most cases, the first time might be forgivable. Because consent often isn't a verbal thing. It's often, you know, we interact with each other and we're kind of gauging and looking at each other's responses. And, you know, you're only really an asshole when either you're totally blind and not picking up on those cues or you're picking up on those cues and choosing to ignore them. But. Yeah, so I would be interested. Um, uh, did she mention anything about the current way that the criminal justice system handles, uh, you know, issues such as that? You know, of, of because... Um, that like like is is the term sexual violence is that like an official term in the criminal justice system currently where if you if you commit or or can be proven to have committed an act of sexual violence as described then there is a set punishment for it. Um, no, I think only certain. I think there's very specific things that can actually go to court. Do you want to go through my rabbit hole? <laughs> because I went down a crazy rabbit hole because she talked about unfounded cases. Yes. Um, I don't know. Have you heard about unfounded? There was a huge expose in... I haven't heard about it. No. Okay. Yeah, there was a huge ex expose. It happened in the Globe and Mail. Um, and they did a whole bunch of these investigations into uh, sexual assault and harassment uh, accusations. And they found that one in every five sexual assault allegation in Canada is dismissed as baseless and falls into the unfounded category. So the unfounded rate is 19%, which is twice as high as physical assault and higher than any other type of crime. Some of the statistics on unfounded, because Ontario is at 25%, which is higher than oh. the rest of the province, or the rest of the country. One in four. Yeah, one also, in four. How do you like... Um... Like, Aboriginal populations compare, 
like Aboriginal and Indigenous populations compared to like in urban areas versus rural areas? Like those more cell subjects. We don't have that information. Okay. Yeah. I think that with Aboriginal populations, they are often very hesitant to go to the police mm. because it is that authority system that is, you know, the white man that oppresses them. So yeah, the colonization that they were mm-hmm. more comfortable with. And especially because uh, Aboriginal people, uh, Aboriginal women specifically, are a very vulnerable population. So they're often uh, forced into sex work, and then from sex work, you know, uh, when we think about Robert Picton and how he pulled from those uh, vulnerable sectors, he pulled from a lot of the Aboriginal women Mm -hmm. um, as his victims. So Ontario is really huge for unfounded cases. Over the five-year period reviewed London, which is the city we are in, presented one of the highest unfounded rates of the 25 largest police communities in the country. The Globe found that the service dropped 30% of sexual assault allegations as unfounded between 2010 and 2014. And I feel like that's because we're a huge university town. Mm. Um, I personally think that. 30% in Toronto is seven? Yeah. Wow. How, oh, there was another point that, however, some police officers may just be turning away women without taking reports just to keep their numbers down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. So there's issues around that as well. Okay. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was very significant. I think that it's important to note that while women are not likely to make these false accusations, they are treated as such. I don't know why it can't go into more depth uh, or be explored more when women accuse Mm-hmm. others of sexual assault like I don't know why we can't be making sure that we're investigating the case fully and then finding out if it's founded or unfounded so I found out uh, an interesting way that they break down the unfounded cases if somebody if a complainant um, withdraws from the process or refuses to participate in the process then it would be considered unfounded even prior to an actual investigation having taken uh, mm-hmm. place. So it's actually, uh, the unfounded cases are broken down into um, into six categories. So complaint withdrew from process and refused to participate. Two, uh, no reasonable grounds um, or ups- unsubstantiated. Three, third party reported, um, incorrectly coded as unfounded. And then there's false complaint, which is proven verifiably to mm-hmm. be false. So, um, so we shouldn't make the mistake I was making previously, which was assuming that all unfounded cases have gone through a process that have, have proven them to be um, false. false. Uh, and, they, and they actually break it down by number, by number. So about 14% of the unfounded cases have been proven to be false. That's a small percentage. Because you're looking at like 14% of like... Yeah. And then you have about another 50% of them have been shown that they haven't been proven to be false, but the investigation is highly suggestive that there's no reasonable grounds or the claim is unsubstantiated. Because in order for them to be proven false, they need something like the, the, the victim has, has admitted that they were lying or something of that nature. So I'd say about 60% of the unfounded cases are either legitimately false or highly suggestive of being legitimately false. 
But it is important to note that about 30% is just simply that the complainant withdrew from the process and decided not to go forward. But why did they withdraw from the process is the question. Right. So some yeah. percentage of that might be because they were they actually were false claims and some percentage might be because they were scared or, you know, whatnot. But, or discouraged to continue on. Like if a yeah. police officer tells me, I don't think you're going to get this to court or whatever, then right. I will probably withdraw my claim. Right. right. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I think that, that adds some really important clarity to the, those unfounded numbers. So in Ontario, instead of one in four are you know, lying, it's, it's more based on this would be one in like 20 are proven to be lying and uh, like one, in, one in eight are potentially, it's suggestive that there was no evidence for it, whether or not they were lying or, or just didn't fit a crime, the description of a crime, um, and then and all the rest of them would be legitimate. Which so obviously, you know, the main issue here is that you know, seven out of eight are legitimate, and how many of those are actually going through the court system and getting convictions? Very few. Right. But okay. sometimes conviction isn't necessarily the goal for. Right. Sometimes it's just a matter of being able to report it in the future for like for future usage and sometimes people don't actually want to penalize the person who committed the sexual assault in many cases like where it's like domestic abuse women may report it but they don't actually want to go through the court system with their like with their spouse right. or partner i don't think we actually answered our first question <laughs> yes. not at i don't all. know if we want to take do you want to just take that out <laughs> see how we started that let's conversation no, no. or do we want to go back Let's finish answering that question. I mean, so, you know, how can we essentially teach the younger generation about healthy relationships? I mean, this goes back to, I think we, in a, maybe in a previous episode, we talked about sex ed uh, in Ontario and how that's changing, uh, especially the removal of uh, teaching consent, um, which to me sounds pretty detrimental in terms of if we're trying to... Oh, so to... it's not in the, the, like, the new old Consent is not? No. No. Yeah, they went way back. <laughs> like, they didn't even just, like, remove other stuff. They just fully switched it up. They went back to, I believe it was the 2014 edition. So, originally, they went There's back no to the 1999 the edition, and then they went back to the 2014 before they put consent in. There's no in. consent in the 2014 edition, even? No. What? Nope. Can you at least like make an amendment do twenty fourteen plus consent? I guess that like I understand that like a lot of religious folks are really upset about like gay rights and stuff, or this idea that there's different family styles and stuff. I mean, not that they should be, but like I see it a little bit more basis. But I would hope that everyone, regardless of their religious background, would be on board for consent. The version does not mention the concept of consent, so so as that's a, it. They just went back. They went back to before they, so they did one little revamp because we were doing like a 1998 or a 19 something version, yeah. and then so the liberals brought in this like temporary one that they were moving into the new one, which would have had consent and different family structures like LGBT stuff, gender things like that. And then they just, they went back to the, the interim one or the one that was meant to be yeah. kind of interim to the, to the new one. But do teachers have any kind of flexibility to kind of like throw in a little bit consent into that? Like, 
well, there's a new reporting line, right? If, if you if you if you teach are something. that was teaching you, something that is that a parent does not like, they can report you to the government instead of talking to your principal, instead of talking to the school board, whatever. They're going to go straight to the government. That's a few months. Oh now, my god. It's essentially okay. a snitch line. Well, <laughs> I don't know how much we want to get into this. <laughs> That's okay. But just to note that things like consent are not included. I think in... consent is the most important thing. I feel like a lot of these issues come up as a, like a misunderstanding of consent. Good point. And I think... It doesn't justify it, of course. But... Yeah, no. And I think even like Dr. Hanley Trudell even mentioned that like it's happening at such a high rate. And she was saying that, like, you know, these men who are doing these aren't necessarily, like, bad, malicious people. It's just misunderstandings of consent. And you have to think about, like, if one in four women, by the time you die, if one in four women has experienced sexual violence, then you have to think about how many men are perpetrating. Yeah. And how many men in your life may have perpetrated, but you, but they aren't bad people. They just don't understand. Like, we're not teaching men properly I think in schools uh, about consent about how to treat I think it's people. both ways it's it's women of knowing how to give consent and how to like you know make that clear and reach out and have those talks when you aren't feeling comfortable with something and that you shouldn't be put into situations that you're not comfortable with but then also guys having this responsibility to kind of check in and be aware of like what does a no maybe look like or how can I approach this without you know killing the moment well, apparently they're in different cultures. Um, some cultures, the idea of you know giving it up to a guy is, is just deemed as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. So there's ex- culturally expected that the women, even if they're interested, are going to socially and visibly be putting up a display of, of this is unwelcome, no, don't. Mm-hmm. And the, apparently the men in those societies, that's what they come to expect uh, the, this is going to be like when you're pursuing someone who, even someone who is interested in the advance, yeah. just because of the shaming that goes around, around uh, you know, specifically women and, and their, their sexual autonomy. And that's a huge problem. And you, you would think that if, if you could eliminate any reason for somebody to be giving kind of false resistance, then, then there would be no plausible justification for somebody pushing past any level of resistance. Right. And that's why I think it's really important that's an education over both girls and boys. Um, often the onus is, is put on the women. So, like, what are you wearing? What are you doing? That sort of thing. Whereas I think that men need to be taught about how to get consent. You know what I mean? So maybe it's not always that the woman has to give it, but the man kind of has to ask for it. But I do think Will has a point of this idea that, like, you know, for girls, like, you know, losing your virginity is, like, this big taboo thing almost, where for a guy, it's like a, I did it! Um, so also kind of changing that idea yeah. about it, so that girls don't feel inclined that they have to sometimes, like, oh, you know, like, play hard to get, or, like... Like, the guy not... has to be the ch- chasing the woman, and as if that's some some inherently desirable feature of the interaction, is, is that it's difficult to achieve. I feel like the whole idea of the chase is, it's very rapey. It's the idea that she initially doesn't want it, 
and through continued advances, you eventually succeed. That's a that's that's a narrative which is made to be a positive one. That's made to be a desirable narrative. Yeah, right? and it's all over. I mean, you know, if you look back in TV shows, movies, right? Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey. Right. There's nothing that's actually valuable and endearing about that guy at all. It's really freaking creepy. Yeah, I, I mean, He's it's, only rich. It, <laughs> Literally, all he has going for him. Listen, hey, listen. If you can marry rich. That was okay. My business prof- <laughs> professor at the end of our uh, course basically told us, "Really, you don't need to take anything away from my lessons. Just marry someone rich." Anyways, <laughs> but, I mean, um, but I, yeah, I mean, um, in our media, it's perpetuated. You know, this um, the chase and how women need to, or how women should be behaving, and how men should chase after women. Um, I mean that. That needs to change, and I, I think you know, talking about consent to both men and women, definitely super important. Uh, and I, th- I think it's pretty clear, w- women need to be empowered to yes. uh, be able to vocalize whether whenever they run to situations mm-hmm. that uh, they do feel uncomfortable, and men need to become much more self-aware <laughs> around um, how they interact and from the person they're currently interacting with as well. It's funny because I feel like there's been a lot of pushback from men because now they're like, we're scared to do anything around women. And you, Kenny, you sent me a very funny video about um, how to not Hmm. uh, sexually assault someone. (laughs) (laughs) I will link that. It's it's from the BBC. I mean, it's it's pretty clear. I think it was a comedic sketch, but I think the main summary is you know, if it feels bad, it is bad. (laughs) (laughs) But I think maybe that's another thing that, again, it comes into this idea of, like, empowering, like, females to feel in charge of their sexuality so that they don't feel ashamed after they have sex, even if they, like, want to have sex. I feel like sometimes women, you know, they want to have sex with someone and then they do it and then they have this weird, like, oh, does that make me a slut? Shouldn't yeah. have done that. You know? Yeah. That was actually cool something that was taken out of the sex ed curriculum as well. So it was put into the sex ed curriculum that uh, students were told that some people have sex for pleasure, uh, not just for um, procreating. That's really And good. then they took it out. I feel like that's so important and I think it's, I'll be honest, when I was in grade eight, I remember learning about um, STIs and thinking, oh my God, hmm. how does anyone have sex? How did my parents have sex? They almost died. The risks are too I high. literally was like, they could have had HIV and AIDS and died, <laughs> and they risked it to have me. And I just like did not get it. It's like a misinformation campaign to try and make people feel guilty about their sexual desires because there's a large religious wing, uh, mostly religious, who feels that people having sex just for fun is literally immoral and is going to send you to hell and whatnot. And encourages their children to have sex. Yeah, encourages them to have sex. And, and, and because the parents who might be religiously minded or whatnot, they feel that their children having sex just for sex is like the worst immoral act that they could be doing. And the worst, like they'd rather them be doing drugs. And whatnot. obviously there's risks of them getting STIs and becoming pregnant but I think the the main issue here is that people there's a large number of, of the older generations mostly who don't think that sex just for sex 
is something that can be morally acceptable. And so they would rather scare children out of healthy sexual practices. They would rather them, them, them be at risk of not being educated on these things than have them be properly educated and safe and going about um, you know, whatever interactions they might choose to go into willingly and informed. 100%. Well said. Can we move on so, to the next question? Yes, because I think okay. the next one we're talking about celebrities, right? <laughs> <laughs> celebrities. You just got really excited there. Okay. Can I read the question out? So, in the past year, many notable celebrities and public figures have been accused of sexual assault and violence. How do we react as a society? How has the Me Too movement changed our perceptions? And then I think Sherry, you did this one. So well, you filled okay. in a bunch of names. Wait, wait. Here's so we got, the thing. We got John Gomeshi, Brock Turner, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., Donald Trump, Brett Kavanaugh. And then there's also Aziz Ansari on here. I what is he doing on this list? Here's I the thing. He literally had an episode in Master of None that was all about like sexual assault and like another coworker making a woman feel uncomfortable. And now just seeing his name on this list, I'm like, wait, what? I wanted to demonstrate that there is a spectrum and that people, I'm saying people, not necessarily me, consider Aziz Ansari as somebody who has perpetrated sexual violence because of that accusation of the date that he went on. Um, yeah, just, you... just for context, he went on a date. Um, uh, the woman felt really uncomfortable during this date. Uh, she was over at his place. He wanted to engage in sexual activity. She did not. She verbalized she did not. Uh, and then the date ended and they went home. But, but no, but in the date. Sounds reasonable. She said no. And then he, he stopped. And then, like, they kind of did something else. And then he pursued again. And I think maybe that's where that, like, unclear consent thing kind of comes in of this chase of. Yeah, oh, she's supposed to say no the first she's time. She's supposed to say no, right? you know, she yeah. doesn't want to be too easy, or maybe she changed her mind. Right. Um, so I, I don't think that makes him a monster or a horrible person. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Right. But, there but are I definitely think, monsters yeah. on but, this list. Does he deserve to be yeah. on that but list? Brett Kavanaugh? Yeah. Nuh-uh. Exactly. But, <laughs> Trump? but I think there is there's the spectrum, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. to me, yeah. Aziz Ansari, the, how it was described, it felt a little scummy. It was like, uh, I don't know if you really should be. Uh, Is it bad though? I'm like, I feel like that's like so many girls have experiences like that, which doesn't make it okay. I think yeah. if anything, it shows like we should make sure not to lump into the same category, but make sure yeah. that's clear that that's not just a bad date. That's like, stop doing that kind of shit, guys. Yeah. Like, well, I, is I that actually... then not sexual violence? Because we're talking about... Like, sexual violence is this umbrella term, yeah, right? All surrounding consent. I think we agreed to that, right? Yeah. I think, if anything, like, maybe it's kind of like sexual violence, but I think what it more emphasizes is the need to, like, just have discussions about consent and that I think too often we just expect these kind of experiences to happen. Like, oh, he was really pushy and I had to say no multiple times kind of thing. I didn't like it. Well, I, I, I mean, personally, I think it's decently commendable that it actually st- like, like I know I mean that actually that sounds horrible but that they ended the date you know that he like because I think that the average person in that situation would probably try more than it sounds like he tried 
No, he, he said, hey, you know, maybe you want to try something. And she said, no. And okay. I think he was he pretty. Stopped. He tried a few times. Like, I think it was, it was a few times. Pushy. So I think that's why I have two two tries. I mean that that sounds that that sounds completely reasonable. I think I think there were definitely more. more Yeah. So I I, this is why when I read the account, to me I felt a little icky about what he was doing because it just didn't seem like the right thing to be doing. It goes back to this BBC skit, right? It's just like it feels feels wrong. It probably is wrong. (laughs) I I feel like. Because I think it's good to highlight it, though, that maybe that, like, this is a form of sexual-based violence, or, like, gender-based violence, or whatever term we're using, and that we do need to kind of be aware of this. This doesn't make him, I don't think, necessarily a bad person, but maybe yeah. it's kind of one of those things, like, you gotta check yourself. Like, again, yeah. am I making jokes about you, you know? And I'm like, yeah, Kenny's kind of not reacting. Yeah. Like, maybe he'll think it's funny yeah. again. It's I like, know, she, I mean, she really said no once during the night, and then had to say it again and kind of was a little more less um i mean i wouldn't think that in a date you should be able to read a person's interests and i mean if she clearly said no the first time and she's not really into it she's probably not mm-hmm. consenting mm-hmm. she may not maybe she wasn't verbally consenting a lot but i mean so well, this still goes back to i mean Education right. needs to go both ways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For all ages, not just the younger yeah. people. I yeah. think it's important that every age group. Yeah. And then the other one I want to bring up is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. What happened? Because, what happened? because he our hero, black he, man science. He was just put onto the list like a couple of days ago because of some uh, interactions with women. Um, so I think there were three that was accounted for, but basically, like one of them was. Uh, a woman had a tattoo of the solar system on her uh, shoulder or something like that, and you know part of it was covered up. And he lifted the shirt. He lifted the shirt because he wanted to find Pluto, which kind of makes sense for Neil deGrasse Tyson because he tried to kill. He was the one that killed Pluto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so, like you still, you ask. Yeah. I'm not about to lift up your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyways, so, I mean, there's honestly, I can see myself doing that. It, it, so it has a really cool tattoo, a little bit of its office covered. I'd be like, oh, really neat tattoo, you know? But you like, would do that to me without saying, hey, can I see the rest of your tattoo? If it was on you know, your 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 arm, like your forearm, not your forearm, but like bicep. It was just like this kind of thing? But, and it, yeah, I'd be like, oh, neat. You know, that's cool. You know, I, I, I honestly, that, that would be my... Yeah. But I don't... So, so, you know, I, I think, like, for example, in that scenario, Neil wasn't aware that was... And I think that also comes up to different comfort levels, right? Like, I'm a huggy person, and I like to hug my friends. Right. Some of my friends don't like to get hugged, and I've had to learn that by hugging them and making them uncomfortable, and us having that It is different that he didn't know her. So so he had no reason to believe that she might be comfortable with him yeah. doing that, right? Where where I, I, w- I was thinking more if I was at a party with one of my friends, I didn't know they had a tattoo on their arm, I might go, oh, neat, you know, and, yeah. and just have a look at it, you know, yeah. on their arm, right? Obviously, nowhere else. But, but. but to me, like, isn't this still, again, a communications issue around, like, consent? Like, you, it is. You should, should be able to say, uh, I mean, she, she was a fan of him. Right, wanted to take a picture kind of thing, but I feel like people should be empowered if someone were to lift my shirt and I didn't want them to lift. I'm like, oh, sorry, I don't want. Do you think she that. interpreted it as having sexual connotations? Because presumably, if she's a fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson, 
Okay, and she has a tattoo of that. And you would think she and she wants to take a picture with uh, with him, and and you would think she would want to show him her tattoo of the solar system on her arm. I mean, so so, so couldn't it, she initiate that then? Of course she could have. So, but what I'm saying is, what, what so what is probably upsetting to her about this isn't that he saw the tattoo. It was maybe that that he he did that without asking permission. So it wasn't even so much that the act upset her so much so much as as she was upset that she didn't give consent even though she would have given consent yeah but it's right? nice to know that people aren't just gonna do stuff to you because maybe you don't know if you would always be okay with yeah. the situation but you also don't know what people want consent for right like, like, like there's an infinite like what if I go to hug someone and, and like goodbye oh hey nice seeing you and I give them a hug but they are deeply offended because they would have wanted. There's a lot of people. There's religious people, you know, who and whatnot, who don't want you touching them and whatnot. Yeah. And and so literally, I think anything, any action could be construed as as should have required consent under under that. And how do we know what's reasonable? I, I honestly think that if if people are properly educated to ask for consent then all that should matter is the intentions of the individual. If, the issue, though, is power structures and power imbalances mm. men have a lot more power than women do and i think or the issue is yes. women don't feel comfortable speaking up because of that power imbalance do you guys remember the um funeral where ariana the... grande was <laughs> um singing and um that priest was hugging her Oh, and she was that trying was, to get away, was, and he like groped her. Yeah, that was definitely that was. I have no idea, but well, that was inappropriate sexual yeah. contact. Yeah, that, but very and that's different. also and that's also clear. Like you're seeing the reaction, and not yeah, and she yeah she was reaction. struggling, and he he didn't. Yeah, like I think if I went and hugged one of you, and then wasn't like. It was aware of like you didn't feel the reciprocal. Yeah, and I was like, I was feel you know, I feel like I'd be like, is this this is a hug? Oh, there is no oh sorry. He's he's pulling away. (laughs) But he he doubled down. Sorry, it was Aretha Franklin's funeral. Not Tamara. Sorry. I don't want to put that out there. (laughs) But yeah, but like he but the thing is that he is in this power position because he's one, he's a pastor. Two, he's a male. And so he thinks that he can sort of hug people and without he, asking. He's in front of an audience. So he's, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, if you want to pull away, you have to do this in front of everyone. Yes. You know, so obviously yeah. she has the incentive to want to go along with it and pretend everything is kosher mm-hmm. just to pretend that that didn't even happen to her. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, like, I don't, with the shirt lifting, I think it's like, I think there's a moment where you just get carried away. And I think it's important that you try to avoid those moments. But I think, more important would be his reaction to her reaction. Yes. So, assuming, you know, depending on how she reacted, if she was like, yeah, like, this is Pluto, and, like, pulls up her shirt even further, okay, everyone is presumably cool with it. If she kind of, like, winces or has, like, nah, then if he doesn't react to that at all, then that's a little bit, like, even more Yeah, like, if he tries to justify, no, I should be able to, it's just your arm, you know, yeah. whatever, right? Like, like, I don't think people should be able to say what someone else should be comfortable yeah. with. Right, uh, he, so he once knowing she's uncomfortable, he should respect that and apologize and, and take you know actions to yeah. prepare. So there, there were a few other incidences as well. That um, similar. Um, yeah, I mean, one of them was uh, he had an assistant when he was filming um, Cosmos, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they 
been working together for a long time. And I think uh, for dinner, he had just invited her over to his place to have like cheese and wine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they had cheese and wine and they left. And But she felt uncomfortable or felt that it was creepy for him to invite her up to his place to have cheese and wine. But but and what if what if he thought there so was this, a this, chance this, this for is a relationship his, bud there? But this well, his, first of all, this is from his account, mm. um, and second of all, he's married. And oh, he's married. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. I didn't know that. Uh, okay, yeah, because I mean, I don't. I don't. I think really the bigger s- issue is no. if she doesn't feel comfortable expressing that beforehand, right? Yeah, but it's, it still goes back to the power thing, right? Because, it is a big yeah, part. Yeah. So, but. Mm-hmm. To me, the the issue there as well would be okay. Even if it is a power thing, do we? Uh, if you were in Neil's shoes, right? How would he know this is uncomfortable unless he's reading the person, right. or Asking. if or if the person's telling him, "Oh, I'd rather not." Yeah. Well, he presumably he he offer. I guess it could be weird because he offers it and she says yeah. no. But I I mean, but you have to look at the alternative. It's it's it, like like it's it'd be unreasonable to say you are never allowed to let anyone that you work with or you know whatever know that you are interested in them because how many relationships start from work you know and how many reciprocal relationships you know start from work so what i mean how many secretaries or who i don't want to even say secretary it sounds like the meaning but how many you know business people that you're working with and there might be a power imbalance end up legitimately having feelings for each other and communicating that to each other on the job Right, and they both get a sense of where each other is at, and eventually it gradually steps up to okay, you know, well, let's let's talk after work a little bit, just on personal a personal level, and then oh, you know, let's celebrate our work anniversary together, you know, um, come over and you know, and as long as it's gradual and and based on a strong consensual you know communication, consensual, right? So I I have no problem with like so I don't think we have enough evidence to to know. If he acted inappropriately, yeah, so, so I under- think that's so tricky though, because like if you're flirting with someone in the work environment to show them that you like them and they're not comfortable with that, then I think that's a problem. Like, I think there needs to be different rules for the workplace versus well, no, if, if, they're uncom- if you the flirt with them and they're uncomfortable and you keep flirting with them, well, that's wrong. If you flirt with them once, just, just because you're like, hey, I might be interested in you, are you interested back? And then they're uncomfortable and then you stop. I see nothing wrong with that. But how do you know that they're uncomfortable if there's that power imbalance? Right. So if they, so I think that's the issue. Is, is I don't think that people should feel that they have to. Obviously, I don't think they should have to flirt with their boss to keep their job, right? So, so that that's a problem. Um, but presumably, yeah, if you're I mean, a good oh, person, it, you wouldn't give off that yeah, impression. In, in my mind, I mean, like if it's a direct report, there it's basically impossible. Like there's no way you should be flirting with a subordinate. Really? Mm-hmm. Which I think the that's, power thing makes it really, really difficult yeah, to no, get consent because there's so many other factors in place. Yeah. Especially if you're dealing with someone's if your your career, right? Yeah. I mean, so just from from my business hat uh, in my work, I mean, it is impossible. You cannot um, uh, you have any relations emotions. to yeah have any relations of any kind with a subordinate. So, is that because of the issue that? 
think it I might think. work out well, and then when it when it breaks up, it will cause problems at work. Or I is think it, throughout no, any stage of it, your emotions will impact your like reasoning and the way you do it. So you might either give them favorable treatment, which is unfair to other employees who have. Well, I, I understand all of that. That and, all makes sense. Or it might end horribly. Or like there, I think there's just so many levels. Of yeah. just, there's, there's, the, the consent piece is, is hard for me to wrap my, my head around, though, because it's weird to me to think that a subordinate who at, who isn't interested would go down maybe 10 tiers of progressive consent giving, you know? Like... Well, they might change their mind. They might be like, you're not the person I thought you were. You're an okay boss, but I don't want a romantic relationship with you. I'm going to break up with you. Please don't fire me. Yeah. Please keep me around in your day-to-day life as your assistant. Yeah, I can't, I know- I can't see any logical reason why but you don't see as a risk that that two consenting individuals are should be allowed to take for themselves like if the secretary says i really like my boss i want to date him you know they know in advance that if they break up it's going to cause problems they're unfortunately issues though like it's for example like the um, lewinsky monica lewinsky Lewinsky. they were like two consenting adults but in the end she kind of first of all got screwed over by the whole thing and like, there was also a power imbalance. Like, she was looking up to him in a lot of ways and, you know, was very infatuated with him because, I mean, he was the president. Yeah. So, like, I think it impacts your decision-making and it places kind of unfair pressures on you to consent. Well, well imagine being a doctor. That's a desirable quality in society. And then if you go to meet somebody who is, let's say, completely unrelated... Is it wrong that they're attracted to you because you're a doctor? So in no, similar no, situations, but, I, I, but, but it's if not, it was a patient, yeah, it's your doctor. So they, how you interact with them in a relationship matter may also now affect your healthcare. It, you're you're jumping between saying it it might cause problems with consent and saying it's wrong for them to take advantage of the fact that they're they might be legitimately attracted to you because you're the president. You know? okay, that's and not being the, the president is, is, no. a, is an appealing thing, no. and, and you shouldn't take advantage of the fact that they're attracted to you because you're the president. No, sorry, that's not the point okay. I wanted to make. I was thinking about the first point, the fact that like he's the president, she is working for him, he dictates her job and her future career, right. and ultimately she got burned pretty hard by the way the whole and, Okay, so I think the only problem is if, is if the person in, in a position of power is forcing the other person into that situation but if they're both consenting and they both know the risks in advance like like i don't see any issue no, with the secretary not. saying I totally, totally i'm disagree. willing to risk my career to go into a relationship <laughs> oh. with my boss because i really like them i you know? I, I think though you don't think they should be allowed to no, make absolutely that decision absolutely not why not i don't think people make rational decisions when they're emotional nobody makes rational decisions in love I know that's but exactly I, that's the but point. That, but there's so much more at stake. Yeah. yeah. So because so, it's not just the relationship that's at stake. No, yeah. It's your job. It's your healthcare. It's your. Uh, but they, you're saying they aren't able to make that decision for themselves. Oh. No. It, 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 logically, in order for if they want it to be together, the uh, reporting structure needs to be either changed or someone. That's fair. Leave. So, I mean, okay. Okay. The, the only yeah. because the only way the the, the problem. You, there's so many possible problems that can kind of come out of uh, having uh, a reporting structure and also then now yeah. having a relationship. Yeah. Good or bad. Okay. Good. Good in terms of uh, for at least for the person in terms of getting unfair advantages. Bad in terms of uh, whether it's a, a breakup or whether it's just uh, relationship tensions. Yeah. I mean, from from just a power dynamic 
there's ways to get around it if they truly believe okay. that they yeah. are meant to be together. But there's I can't see any way why someone needs to be in a reporting structure plus mm-hmm. then also. You know, no, I, I agree. I, I think you should totally dissolve any issues of conflict of interest just yeah. from, a, from a sound business perspective, right? Yeah. Um, just make sure you're doing your jobs well. Yeah, yeah I, I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, but I feel, yeah, I feel like we've drifted from the consent piece because the main thing that I wanted to discuss was is it re- because if you understand that there's a possible situation that it would make sense to date a coworker or, or a subordinate even possibly, so long as you agree to make the proper amendments to your, your power structure. Yeah. Um, then is it really wrong for uh, someone in a position of power to 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 make a I don't want to say make a pass you know but but to 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 feel that out just just you know as just and, and then read the reaction and then act appropriately. I think there has to be a really or maybe clear, the subordinate has to act first. Or I think if you know you're in the higher position or whatever, or even if you're like the man to the woman because there's right stuff, of course right. I think it's really clear that you like. Hey, I'm kind of interested in you, or like, hey, you're really like you're looking really good today, um, or like adding some kind of piece that gives that the other person like choice and control, and says, hey, this is how I feel, but like, I'm not gonna do yeah. anything, I'm not gonna say anything if you're uncomfortable. Isn't with this? Us. I mean, it, it all keeps coming down to how you talk about consent. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it keeps coming back to the same exact and you know, I think solution around. If, if you were subordinate and you had feelings, like, how would you approach this with someone who's maybe a well, uh, as a higher power than you, and if it's the other way around, uh, there's a different approach to how you commu- communicate mm-hmm. that and talk about that. And I think people just need to be aware of the fine lines that you're crossing over, yeah. um, uh, especially in a work environment or in an environment where there is such a, a distinct uh, power Hierarchy. difference. To me, this is still goes back to around consent from how do you talk about consent. And from both the female and male perspective, especially in a lot of cases, males tend to have, right now, a higher power. Mm-hmm. I think I find that in my position. So in yeah. conclusion to my thoughts, I think so long as the subordinate acts first in, in, in you know, throwing out the first line and then acts appropriately in response to saying, does the boss reciprocate? If he does, okay, maybe they can keep throwing lines out. But if that starts time to redo the power structure to make sure that you're going to make sound business decisions. But I do think it would be wrong for the person in power to throw out the first line because of the implication that if they reject it, then it could have business consequences for their career. And 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 but So maybe at most, the person in, in power could, could just make themselves seem available to the other person's advance. So not make an advance themselves. But just, just you know, whatever it is you do to show someone that you know, hey, you know, I, 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 I think I, I don't know. I, guess I, I don't, be, I don't know if there's hard rules for that because I feel like there could be a hundred million the, iterations and yeah. factors that yeah. come. Into but that. as like a general rule, I have nothing wrong with subordinate hitting on their boss once, <laughs> just to see if it's if it's reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it becomes a pattern of of no reciprocation and they're just that's harassment, right? But. But I don't have a problem with workplace relationships as long as the yeah you uh, fix to me the hierarchy. yeah to me I don't have a problem with workplace relationships I but I think it still goes down comes down to you know how you talk about it mm-hmm. um, and if we kind of frame it as you're hitting on someone I mean there's a, a fine line between hitting and yeah. harassment right and yeah I, yeah I think 
Just slap, like, slap their ass. Let them know you like them. No. <laughs> no it's like, I'm kidding. But you know, there's like documentary or this stuff that, that used to actually say that. Like, but we talked about the whole consent thing. And so like, how do you know that your advances are being turned down? Especially if you're in that power imbalance. Well, that, that's why I think that the, only the subordinate should make the first I think advance. it's more important less about who makes the advance and just whoever makes the advance has to give the other person like choice and control and be like, Hey, like somehow get the message across that like if you're not interested, right? And this off. will cease. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's it. the most important part, regardless of who between what type of people it is. Mm-hmm. It's just like this is how I feel. Okay, never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> there should be a government man regulated letter that is like if you want to hit on one of your employees, you know, and then just like just like it's like a form you fill out, you know, like put your signature on it, like you know, I'm and consenting I, like, and I agree to back off if this yeah, exactly. checks yeah. the no box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it will never be mentioned again and exactly. like yeah, in a confidential it. form, none of our coworkers can know or else yeah. you can Well, I uh, I saw um uh, maybe like a talk from uh, I think is it Dan Savage. He yeah he's uh, like a not counselor but he does a podcast about like relationships stuff like that he he's gay and he like gives advice to anyone and often a lot of straight people kind of uh, gives gives them or ask them questions for advice and things mm-hmm. like that and I remember seeing one around like consent and he basically stated you know he, there's a lot of lessons you can take away from the gay community I mean it's I mean the gay community everything's pre-negotiated ahead yeah. of time because <laughs> from a practical standpoint you have to in terms of uh, Ali's making jokes about you know tops and bottoms you kind of have to pre-negotiate <laughs> everything right yeah. so it's, it's, there's a lot of lessons you can take away from the gay community in terms of for any type of interaction you gotta like just pre-negotiate everything up front <laughs> before, before you do yeah. anything so but that's good when that's like a normal because then that's not a weird thing that's just like this is what we do, and yeah. it's still sexy, and we're still gonna, you know, yeah. see what's going on, and yeah. if we're and agree, if the issues doesn't work out, you know, it's, yeah. it's fine. Move on to the next. So, do we want to end? I think we should probably end with what should you do if someone discloses that they've been a victim of sexual assault and violence? So, I have a list of things that you should do. Be aware of your reactions, so don't be judgmental or overly reactive, or shocked or horrified or anything. Just try and remain calm. And start talking, and and don't start talking about a similar situation you've had. Just remain calm and listen. Believe the person disclosing and don't minimize it. Reactions of sexual assault and abuse can vary greatly, like we talked about. Some people may be calm, some people may be anxious. Um, So just listen to them, believe them. Don't ask for unnecessary details focusing on on the victim. So don't ask about their behavior or their clothes. Uh, Don't question why they didn't fight back or why they didn't call the police. You should find a private place to talk and tell them that you are glad that they are telling you. Uh, Be patient. Allow them to tell you as much or as little as as they want to. Use body language to show them that you're listening and pay attention to what they say. If they need to, if they're getting overwhelmed, you can help to ground them. Uh, So help them take some deep breaths while planting their feet. Help them go through some mindfulness exercises potentially. So looking around the room and naming ordinary objects, things like that. Respect their personal space. I think this is a really big one. So don't touch them. Instead, offer them something warm like a blanket or a jacket. Uh, Because they have been victimized, 
physically, like invading their physical space, I think is a very important no-no. Uh, reassure them that these are normal reactions to trauma. Assure them that it's not their fault. Uh, tell them that you'll help them get the support they need. Talk to them about their safety. Ensure they have a safe place to go and ask them who their supports are and how you can help them get in touch with those supports. Find out if they need any medical assistance and help them to get to that assistance. So if they need a rape kit, help them get to the, the facility where uh, they are going to get that done. Maybe stick around, wait for them to come out of the doctor's office, that sort of thing. Make sure that you're there for them and provide them with info about their local shelter. So I think those are all really good things to do if somebody discloses to you. Two other things that I would add is one, use the language that they're using, especially when a lot of these kind of incidences may happen with like an actual like significant partner. You know, they may say, hey, oh, last night wasn't that good. You know, my boyfriend did this and this, but they might not necessarily constitute that as a rape. So you shouldn't be using that kind of language mm, if that's not the way that they're... language on. Yeah, so reflect the language they're using. And it's the same when, when someone passes away um, you reflect the kind of language that the person is choosing to deal with the situation yeah. and express that. Um, and then another one was, obviously depends on your relationship to the person, but not necessarily asking for details of specifically what happened, but more just asking them of how are they feeling about this, you know, what do they need in this present moment. Um, and that's just coming from a background of like health professional where if you do get all those details, you may be required to go to court um, like subpoena for the, in the future, but you can provide that emotional support without necessarily knowing exactly the details of what happened, where, when, why, how. Um, more just talking to the person of how you can be there for them in that moment. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a great holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time with our year in review for humanism. Woo! A little bit of a lighter topic potentially. Okay. See ya. Bye. Yeah, there's a. Should we add like links and references and stuff? We there's already a did. Really didn't we? great TED talk called um, like put, Sex Pizza. Thing can you put it like in that. the document? Okay. Oh. It basically talks yeah, about. Yeah, pizza is about poly, right? No, 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 it's about sex. Okay. No, it's this sex idea. Sex pizza. Yeah, it's basically this idea that people always talk about sex as like baseball and like home mm-hmm. run and like um, goal oriented. Like, catcher and a batter and it's goal oriented oh. and you know, like the different bases, how it's like step one, step two, step three, home run. Um, and it's it talks about how you should see sex as pizza, how, you know, even if like, you know, you and your partner have been together for a while, it's like, hey, do you want to get pizza? And then we kind of like talk about like, well, what kind of oh. toppings do we want? Yeah, what do we think? You know, yeah, like, and it's this idea mm-hmm. that like we both enjoyed and I might just eat one slice today, you know, you know, yeah. I'm not actually feeling pizza. We can do half and half if we want, do, you want know, do right? the usual. Like, yeah. And this idea that it's like, when you order pizza, you don't just assume, like, well, first we did vegetarian, now we're doing meat, you know, now it's this. And yeah, but it's a negotiation between people. Um, and actually, it gets into a lot more depth than that, and it was a really good talk, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it might, might be worthwhile putting in here. Who doesn't like pizza? Yeah. And the people who don't like pizza are weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 we're recording. Do you think there will be sexual violence on Mars? (laughs) Um, 
I don't even know where to start with that. 